We have to go to the moon. We were just okay. talking about the bad CGI Kennedy in Transformers. <laughs> this is episode... Is it 13? I think it is. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's going to be a, a synopsis of Demon Souls, which will be short, because not a lot really happens in that game. In uh, comparison to, I guess, Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. It's more about, like, the the world building than what you really do in it. Okay. Super. Yeah, and Demon's Souls is good because it has an intro that explains everything and then an NPC also explains everything, like, half an hour later. Really? Well, yeah. I, I played Demon's Souls. Mm. And I almost finished it. And Define almost. Okay, well, what happened was, is I got to Alan and he took a soul level. Alan? King Alan? Isn't it a lot? King Alan. <laughs> he never corrected me, okay? <laughs> and so, okay, so I fought him, and then he took a soul level. He did, yeah. And I was not okay with that. And then. That's how you respec. What? If you don't like your Demon Souls character and you want to respec, you get level drained. And then you can just level up again. Yeah, but he, he, he keeps it. That's my soul level. But the enemies respawn. You can just kill them again. But it's my property. He's the king. <laughs> I'm sorry, but he kind of owns everything. Oh, I guess it's a form of taxes. I guess. Okay, fine. To be fair, like, you are barging into his castle and trying to murder him. Well, okay, to be fair, I just wanted to talk to him. And if he didn't attack me, we could have talked it out. Yeah, it's sad there's no diplomatic solutions in these games. Yeah, that's why I really liked Fallout New Vegas, because I yeah. could, like, solve things through talking. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Now I want to play Fallout New Vegas. Mm. Life is hard, because it's right. not on PS4. Yeah, I, I always meant to finish playing it. You didn't finish Fallout New Vegas? I played Fallout 3, like, from beginning to end, and then I started New Vegas, and I was kind of Fallouted out. And didn't bother finishing it, but which is it is a shame because New Vegas was made by the people who did Fallout One and Two. Well, look who's a casual now. I finished New Vegas multiple times. I think I got all the endings. I played like half of the DLCs. Yeah. 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 Oh, and you're supposed to do a prepare to lore for me soon. Well, you were supposed to do it months what? ago. Oh yeah, that yeah. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to it after this podcast. Yeah, well, I did the Sekiro one. Yeah, oh my god, the Sekiro was so good. There were people who didn't... First of all, they didn't realize it wasn't the narrator until you started talking funny. And then yeah. they didn't realize it was you until the credits. It was awesome. <laughs> 
So, so about, demon souls. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was, is that he took my soul level. I didn't appreciate it. And then I almost finished the fire level. And then I kind of halfway through the swamp level. And yeah. I think I finished the other one. So I figured I have most of the game done. So I can. You've, you've pretty much finished it. Yeah. Apart from actually finishing it. Yeah. Well, same thing. Like, I'm at the last boss, yeah. whatever. And so. You're not I at the last boss. He's the king. You just said. Well, he's I the guess. King. I guess we'll, we'll get to that because maybe he's not the king. Okay. Well, as I was saying, so I figured it's okay. This for is the me. problem with doing a recap <laughs> of something that you haven't finished. No, no, I did. Okay, okay. What I'm trying to say, if you stop interrupting me, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So then I figured I can just go online and watch, like the last cutscene or whatever, to understand the game, and I did. <laughs> Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> well, it's like... Yeah, I'm just picturing you sitting there stroking your chin. Of course. All makes sense now. <laughs> I think I got fed to a giant tree. I don't know. It's similar. And then at the end, the narrator like said, Oh, you're a hero now. The end. Yeah, that's what they say. You're a hero now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but I didn't really get it, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that that's why we're doing this. We're doing it so you don't have to play it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Because <laughs> it seems like a really good story that I would like to understand. Okay. So go ahead. Okay. So Demon Souls starts with narration, kind of like the narration in Dark Souls. You just get this like recap of, of the world. It's one of the things about Demon Souls that Dark Souls doesn't do and Bloodborne does. And that's why, like, even before we knew that Bloodborne was kind to Demon Souls too, people compared them a lot. Mm-hmm. Is that Demon Souls is set in a kingdom that is, like, reasonably normal. Like, it's a, a pretty normal sort of medieval kingdom that this thing called the Soul Arts is then unleashed on. And that warps it into, like, a sort of dark fantasy place. As opposed to Dark Souls, where from the very beginning of Dark Souls, there are gods and dragons and giants and things. Whereas Demon Souls was, you know, yeah, it was a a normal medieval kingdom. Then they start experimenting and that creates these monsters out of something that was, like, yeah, that was reasonably normal. So it's more of like a horror story where like the sort of normal place is is something breaks through and starts messing it up rather than Dark Souls, which was a fantasy story from the beginning, which is very similar to Berserk in the sense that Berserk is like the fantasy elements of Berserk are initially sort of downplayed. And then there's there's actually there's an event in that story where everything so like the fantasy stuff starts having more and more of an impact after that. Mm -hmm. Mm. So, the way that Demon Souls begins is they explain that there is a kingdom called Boletaria, and it is ruled by a king called Alant the Twelfth. What happened to the first 11 Alants? They were were fine. Uh, They didn't do anything. They didn't uh, accidentally destroy the world, so they're of not- (laughs) They're not of much 
uh, yeah, they're not talked about. Okay. Okay, so he was previously, there were 11 previous Alants, I guess. There may have been other kings in between. May have gone like Alant the sixth and then someone else and then Alant the seventh. Mm hmm. Mm. <laughs> so there's Alant the twelfth. Right? King Alant the twelfth, the current king of Boletaria. And he is using, he, he uncovers, uh, there's like a, uh, it's just called the soul arts. It's basically like they, they rediscover magic. Rediscover magic. So that means yeah. magic existed before? It did exist beforehand, but mm-hmm. no one knew about it. Um, okay. It's, well, it'll get, we'll get to that. Okay. So the people of Boletari, they sort of rediscover magic and they use that to become this very prosperous uh, like sort of advanced kingdom. Then King Alant the Twelfth, in he wanting more and more and more power, he accidentally wakes this thing up called the Old One. That is like you don't see it at this point. We'll see it later on. And when the Old One wakes up, this fog begins to blanket the kingdom, and its Boletaria becomes cut off from the outside world by this blanket of fog. And they talk about how you can get to Boletaria through what's called a fissure. There's like a fissure in the fog that you can walk through. Mm-hmm. So people are being uh, one of the Boletarian heroes, a guy called um, Valifax of the Twin Fangs. He is able to escape from Boletaria, warn the outside world, and then come back again. Mm-hmm. And then. In the wake of him coming back, other people start coming to Boletaria as well for different reasons. There's people who are there because they want to save Boletaria. And there's also just a lot of greedy people who want to, like, loot the place and get all the- And, like, perhaps learn to control all the power in Boletaria for themselves. So, your character, again, like the Souls games, you can- Your motive- Your um, origin is up to you. You're someone who went to Boletaria. The intro level of the game is you is basically your journey to Boletaria. Okay. And in that in that intro level, it ends with a fight against a big fat demon, kind of like the Asylum Demon in Dark Souls. The difference here is that like the demon will probably kill you, but you can kill it if you're good enough. Uh, and if you kill the demon, you basically find some treasure and then get killed anyway. So regardless <laughs> of what happens, you you get killed in a cutscene, a dragon punches you to death. One punch dragon? <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, if you beat basically like this huge um it kinda looks like a like an off brand Cthulhu thing <laughs> appears. That will one shot you, almost certainly. Mm-hmm. If you know what you're doing, you can uh, very, very slowly whittle its health away by avoiding its attacks. And if you do that, you then find a like temple area that's full of all of this treasure, and then after you've got the treasure, a dragon punches you to death <laughs> in a cutscene, just like smashes you and you go flying and die. Yeah. So regardless of what happens, you will die. And as you're dying, similar to in Bloodborne, when you get the the transfusion, you hear the this voice say like, uh, "I I have um, shackled your soul or something." Something like that. So, when you die, instead of you dying, your soul is bound to this place called the Nexus. The Nexus is this 
gigantic sort of temple thing. You never really see the outside of it, but the implication seems to be that it's floating somewhere. Do you know what just clicked in my head? What? The Nexus is the Hunter's Dream. Can we just talk about how great the Nexus is and how they never did anything like it again? Okay, let's. Okay. So the Nexus is, um, if you know Filing Shrine in Dark Souls 3, it's the same sort of setup, but instead of the thrones, there are these, um, they're called arch stones. So there's these five, no, six, um, like stones positioned in like a circle. You use them to walk from level to level. But it's like 10 times bigger than it needs to be. Like you can go up and it's like really, really tall. And there's just all of these like winding staircases and just like huge empty corridors and rooms. And there's kind of no reason for them to exist at all. <laughs> but it's really cool because this is like, it's supposed to be, this is the hub area of the game, but it's not a nice hub. It's like big and like empty and confusing. And like people have just quit at that point because they don't know what to do. Because you just wander around the hub and you can get lost in the hub and have no idea where you are. Uh-huh. And, like, it's it's really simple to die there because there's all of these huge winding staircases without rails. So, like, just <laughs> as you're moving around, you know, the hub area, you can just, like, fall off and die. <laughs> and, like, it's the op- like the hunter's dream, which is very, very cozy. And there's no way to die there unless you use a weapon that can hurt you. Well, no- you can jump off the ledge, I think, and get a little bit of in your the health. hunter's dream. Isn't there a little ledge that can hurt you if you jump? No, off? there is in Dark Souls Three. Ah, oh, okay. okay. In Dark Souls Three, you can jump off the top of Firelink Shrine, but like the Nexus is easily like two or three times the size oh, yeah. of the shrine in Dark Souls yeah. Three, and it's it's incredibly overwhelming. And you'll you can see that like the center of the Nexus is this huge statue holding a sword. And underneath that is this, like, it's not clear what it sort of it almost looks like glass, this, like, glass circle with all these runes on it that are sort of pulsing on and off. Did you just say runes? Yeah, they're runes. Like the astral clock tower runes? It does look a bit like the astral clock tower. If you imagine the astral clock tower dial was on the floor. Hmm. Yeah, it's very, very, like... It's incredibly eerie and overwhelming when you first visit. And it's it's they've never done a better hub than that. Every other hub has been nice. This is like, where the fuck am I? This is a nightmare. So when you arrive at the Nexus, you're dead. Um, and you're in soul form. This is the thing the game does where like if you die, you come back, but you are like a ghost version of yourself and your body is gone. And you meet other people in the Nexus who, some of them are dead and their souls are trapped there, but some of them just seem to have been able to reach there physically. I'm not entirely sure how that works. So, you, when you're in the Nexus, you meet this woman called the Maiden in Black, who is a sort of priestess figure. They talk about her as she is keep- the Nexus is full of candles. And they say that her job is to keep all the candles in the Nexus lit. She is- a uh, very sort of um, frail-looking woman whose she her eyes, um, she doesn't appear to have eyes, but if you look closely, her eyes are, like, sealed shut with wax. She's got this, like, wax sort of blindfold on. Did she have a candle accident? It's possible. Oh. And she, she sort of tends to all the flames in the Nexus. And if you talk to her, she tells you to go to the top of the Nexus and see these 
people called the Monumentals. So as you ascend the extremely large and confusing nexus, you reach the top and they talk about the Monumentals, plural. There's only one of them who is still alive. And they're all these, they look like monks and they've sort of um, died in like a prayer pose. And they're, they look like they have died and sort of mummified and there's only one of them still alive who tells you that it basically just recaps the plot to you again that was in the intro saying like, hey, there's this fog. The fog is taking over Boletaria. You need to stop. Now, the reason the fog is happening is because the old one has woken up. The old one has let the fog out and the fog is spawning demons. Demons are coming out of the fog. And the demons are hungry for souls of people when the demons eat someone's soul. When they will not eat, but when the demons can uh, absorb somebody's soul, they become stronger. So it's this like plague that is spreading across Boletaria. And what you need to do is, um, and they explain that like this all happened a long time ago. There was a similar incident when the fog, the old one woke up, there was fog everywhere. So they kind of fixed everything by- constructing the nexus and then the nexus is itself tied to these things called archstones and there's all of these archstones throughout boletaria that sort of hold the world together and what you have to do is get rid of all the demons around the archstones and that will kind of that will according to the monumental that will kind of like that'll solve it you have to get rid of all the demons and and sort of reactivate all these archstones mm-hmm. um so your job is yeah at that point the archstones down the bottom of the nexus suddenly, like you can use them, and there's there's six of them. Only five of them work because there was meant to be a sixth one, but they ran out of time to finish it. Mm-hmm. The archstones are they connect the different parts of Boletaria together, so you can use them to pop back and forth from the nexus. And the game then just becomes a reasonably non-linear experience where you go to five different parts of Boletaria. And your goal is to slay all the- There's things called the arch demons that are around the arch stones. If you slay the arch demons, you absorb the soul of the arch demon and restore that arch stone. And your goal is to slay all the arch demons and restore all the arch stones. Mm-hmm. So that then, um, yeah, the maiden in black will then- The maiden in black describes herself as like- The maiden in black is supposed- She has a demon inside of her. And that power allows her to make you stronger, which is how to do leveling up. And I, I think we talked about this before, but the it's interesting, like, the way the Maiden in Black talks about leveling up. They make you go through multiple confirmation screens before you yeah. will actually be able to do it. They make you say, like, hey, do you want to channel soul power? And it's like, yes. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is, like, makes it seem, again, like this is a very- this is unnatural what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in, in like Dark Souls uh, 3 and 2 and 3, like you just meet the level up lady and she's like, hey, I'll make you stronger. <laughs> Whereas in Demon Souls, it's like, are you absolutely sure you want to do this? Because it's kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah. And like, as you're doing it, she's like, it's not even like I'll level you up. It's like, like touch the demon inside me. Like it's it's presented as like a sort of weirdly perverse sort of, corrupt thing that you're doing and it's explained through various like there's various characters will show up in the nexus uh, the original crestfallen warrior is a dead guy in the nexus he's just a soul mm-hmm. and 
they explain that like yeah the maiden in black is is a demon as well and she's got like she's the strongest demon that there is and her goal is basically to put the old one back to sleep so the game is sort of like not there's never a strict definition of what constitutes a demon it just seems to be any anything that is sufficiently powerful and corrupt is a demon so if the maiden in black is the strongest demon, why doesn't she go kill the other demons? I think because she can't leave the Nexus. Oh. Well, it 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 becomes sort of apparent later on. Okay. So, like, yeah, there's just five different areas of Boletaria that are all cut off through the fog. The fog is the fog is the genesis of the fog gates in Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. So, like, the way it's explained in Demon Souls is, like, there's this fog everywhere. The fog is cutting off different parts of the world from each other, and that's why there are fog gates. And after that point, they reuse the fog gates, but they don't ever give them an in-game justification. There's just yeah. a fog gate. Yeah. yeah. So, you go through the five different areas of Boletaria. There, um, the five different- Boletaria is- it's a kingdom, but- how do I explain? Like, Bolit- Boletaria is one kingdom, but you visit five different areas of it, and they're not they're not connected to each other, like the areas in Dark Souls or Bloodborne are. They're distinct. You can't walk from one to the other. Yeah, it's like Crash Bandicoot levels. That's exactly what it's like. It's a Crash Bandicoot-like. <laughs> yeah. So, you travel to the five different areas. They're not- you can't physically walk from one to the other, but they're still connected. Like, each one has a different role in Boletari, and you can kind of figure out, like, where they are. So, there are five different areas you go to. The first area is the Boletarian Palace, which is the Palace of King Alant. That is your, um, I guess at this point, standard, like, Dark Souls castle area. Lothric in Dark Souls 3 is a sort of redo of it. Uh, huge chunks of Lothric are just made, are just like sort of almost one-to-one copied from Boletaria. <laughs> yeah. So, Boletaria is, um, Boletaria is unique because it has an extra bit at the end, which we'll get to later on. So, as you go through Boletaria, the idea behind Boletaria is this is where King Alant lived. This is where the soul arts were practiced. The three bosses of Boletaria are a huge blob called Phalanx, a really tall, uh, imposing sort of like building-sized knight called Tower Knight, and then another knight called Penetrator who has a big lance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't see why that's funny. I don't see why anything's amusing about the penetrator. <laughs> With the big lance. With his big lance that he sticks in you. <laughs> you know, when I played uh, Dark Souls, you know, I had to take a double take at one of the bosses. Like, is this for Was real? Was it Ceaseless Discharge? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think those two are connected? <laughs> if Discharge is Ceaseless, please consult your doctor. <laughs> So, the the reveal at the end of Boletaria is that you then fight these three- as you defeat those bosses, the sort of final run-up in Boletaria, you're attacked by three 
red phantoms who again it's like the phantom system in demon souls is if your body is destroyed you come back as a phantom so you fight these three red phantoms and they are through their design and through the dialogue of one of the other characters implied to be these were the three heroes of boletaria and through absorbing all of these demon souls they themselves became demons so the three bosses of Boletaria are the three knights of Boletaria who became these monsters. And then when you defeated their monster forms, they reverted to being sort of phantom versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot about Boletaria. It's not really like, quote unquote, the plot. You just find out a lot of details about it. You find out that, like, uh, one interesting thing it does that other Souls games didn't do is that you sort of experience Boletaria from the sort of the peasant soldier level, like that the the early characters you run into in Boletaria- it, one, one of the early characters you run into in Boletaria is this merchant who is- he just talks about- he's a merchant, he sells you things, and one of the things he talks about that they never really go back to it in, in the Souls games is like- he sort of really hates the royalty. And he talks about how, like, um, Boletari has been overrun by demons and they're killing each other. And he's like, okay, that's not ideal. But, <laughs> but like, the royalty were all sending us off to die in wars anyway. Mm-hmm. And so this is, like, maybe this is deserved on some level. Maybe this is preferable. It's, it's not, like... Boletaria was one- because you're told Boletaria is prosperous, and it's like, well, maybe for the royalty it was prosperous. Mm-hmm. But for everyone else, it's like, Boletaria run by this army of demons that are killing everyone, and Boletaria run by the royalty. They weren't really that different. The royalty weren't that great. They were effectively the same as the monsters that they've unleashed. Mm-hmm. And you also run into various members of the Boletarian- royalty or at least the upper classes you meet knights and you meet a prince and like they are not bad people but they're also very naive about everything that's happening so like it's an interesting take on royalty that you get in demon souls the other ones don't really do that mm-hmm. the idea yeah like the 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 royalty themselves were the were not that like you're sort of given two different takes on Boletaria, you're given you're told it from the from the royal the royalty's point of view that it's a wondrous prosperous place and then from the perspective of the peasants it really isn't and they sort of don't care that it's gone to shit because it's not that different from their yeah. point of view yeah um while you're there you meet uh Bior. we earlier mentioned a character called valifax of the twin fangs the twin fangs are alance i guess agents there's two of them obviously twin fangs Bior is looking for valifax um, you find that Valifax was executed. This is a like environmental storytelling thing, but they don't ever come out and say it. But there is a uh, Boletaria has an executioner called Meralda. You can fight Meralda, and past her, you find all of Valifax's stuff. Mm-hmm. So the implication is that she executed Valifax because I think he he was maybe warning them about what they were doing in Boletari was bad or something. <laughs> like, like may- maybe he was trying to stop Alant and then he was executed for treason. Um, 
so that's that's basic. The other character you meet in in um, Boletaria is a character called Ostrava, and as is revealed later on, like Ostrava is a knight. He is wearing very very fancy gear. Um, he's got like he's he's a knight who appears to be extremely successful, but is also incompetent. You have to keep yeah. rescuing him. <laughs> I remember that. And the reveal the reveal much later on is that. The reason Ostrava is like that is because Ostrava is actually the prince of Boletaria. He's called Prince Ariona. Mm-hmm. And he has come back to Boletaria to try to reason with his father. And he's using Ostrava as an alias. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess we'll we'll come to him later on. So the the second area is called Stonefang Tunnel. It is the mines of Boletari where they dug up all the ore to make all the weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about Stonefang Tunnel in another episode. It's seen as like the least interesting area. Uh, and I, I think that's pretty accurate. It's like one of the things that we talked about when we were talking about Stonefang Tunnel initially is like the other areas have a strong sort of personality at the core of them. Whereas Stonefang Tunnel is just like like uh, Boletaria, Boletaria, the core of Boletaria is Alant, is this like mad, depraved king who is destroying the kingdom. But the there isn't really an equivalent for Stonefang. It's just like the mine level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The characters there, you meet these sort of hunched over, like, they're just called the burrowers. They're sort of the demon souls equivalent of dwarves. Of the Tolkien sort of mining dwarves. There's all- Yeah, you meet a bunch of them. Um, they are just, like, digging for ore. There's not a great deal, like, to say about the bosses there. There's just a- um, The first boss is a giant spider that just, like, it's a spider that absorbed souls and got really big. <laughs> That's the story behind the spider. Then you meet a, um, a flaming creature called the Flame Lurker. That is sort of implied to be a a character from from the sort of mythology or history of that area called the legendary Big M, who was a guy who would have fist fights with dragons. <laughs> he was like this sort of like yeah legendary figure who would punch dragons to death, and um. Based on like item placement and stuff, it looks like the Flame Lurker boss is the legendary Big M sort of soul corrupted by the by Demon Souls to become this sort of like. It looks like like a little version of Ceaseless Discharge, who sort of <laughs> tries to punch you. Um, and then the the very bottom of Stonefang Tunnel is the it's like a dragon sort of burial ground where all these dead dragons are, and there's one. One huge surviving dragon called the Dragon God. There is also a character in this area called Skurva the Wanderer who has said he's basically come here to loot the place. And this is also where you can first encounter Patches, who is also there to loot it. So the idea is like, <laughs> yeah. um, this place, this mine, like there's a lot of valuable stuff here. There's also rare sort of like dragon artifacts lying around. So- People have come here to loot it now that Boletari is falling apart. And the dragon god is- it's talked about as though it's something from mythology that has been brought to life. So, I think the idea is, like, that 
this this is going to come up again in another area, but the idea that the demon souls are sort of revive like things from things that are just like dreams or ideas are being brought into reality by the power of the demon souls. Mm-hmm. So you have to confront what is like the god that the that the borrowers worshipped, who is who is the same dragon that punches you in the intro if you survive Vanguard. <laughs> Um, Vanguard is the boss in the intro. Yeah. So you can fight that dragon. Uh, it's shit. It's <laughs> the, They don't want you to fight the dragon properly. The way you do it is that you- you basically, It's basically Bed of Chaos. It's better than Bed of Chaos, but it's still not very good. <laughs> you, you just activate these, like, crossbow things. They pin the dragon down. Uh, there's no other way to hurt it. Then when you've shot the dragon enough times with the crossbows, you can just walk up and hit it a couple of times and it dies. So yeah, that's that Stonefang Tunnel. Um, it's it's fine. It's good. They put a lot of thought into the the environment design there, but it's just like the, there's sort of a lack of personality to it. Yeah. Um, the next is Tower of Latria, which is makes up for all the lack of personality in Stonefang <laughs> significantly. It oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> Tower of Latria is fucking crazy, and I love it. It is like the best. It's the best thing I think they've ever done. So Tower of Latria is it's a the tower itself is like the last part of it. You started at the bottom, which is a prison. And the idea is like Latria was a place sort of like Boletaria. It was like a, a pros weirdly like these all happen in Boletaria, but Latria has a queen. So I don't I don't she's like the queen of an area of yeah. Boletaria somehow. So Latria was um like Boletaria, it was described as this very sort of prosperous uh very cultured place that was ruled over by a queen. And there was an old man, an old monk who was, who knew the queen and he left Latria. He was, I think he was exiled from Latria or left Latria and he went on some weird pilgrimage. And then he returned from the pilgrimage with this huge golden cloth wrapped around his head. And, like, wrapped all over his body, and the cloth itself was like a demon. Mm-hmm. And that had possessed him. And then when he returned, he took over. And he, like, locked everybody up in this huge prison and had the royalty um, mostly, I think, executed. There's some surviving ones who sort of wander around. Uh, so, he- you, you work- Latrias begins in the prison where he's locked everyone up, and it's- it's filled with, like, sort of shit enemies that can't really hurt you. But there's just huge mobs of them in these cells, like, rattling on the on the doors. And they're, they're guarded by what are literally the mind flayers from Dungeons & Dragons. These, like, squid-headed <laughs> guards that, that sort of patrol up and down. And if they see you, they try to- they freeze you in place and then they put their tentacles around your head and spear you. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very dark, sort of quiet area. Another thing about Demon Souls we should mention is, like, like all the Souls games, there's no music apart from boss fights. Mm-hmm. So, and the sound design in Latria is really, really creepy. You can oh, hear yeah. all this, like, rattling and you can hear people screaming in the cells mm-hmm. and stuff. Well, there's one song in there. Oh, there's the woman singing. Yeah. That creeps yeah, me out one, so bad. One of the- one of the- uh, locked up members of royalty is like, she's described as like the former wife of a uh, member of the royalty. She's locked up and you can hear her singing. 
you can also there's also a guy called Lord Ridiel who is uh, one of Alant's. I think he's like Alant's nephew or something, and he's trapped. He's dead, but his spirit is trapped in Latria. And you also meet a character called Sage Frake, who is the the um, sorcery trainer, and he is in a cell in Latria as well. So you, as you progress through the early parts of Latria, you're sort of you rescue people who then go back to the Nexus, basically. Right. Um. So as you proceed through Latria, you realize that the um the old monk has been like all these people are being kept. Oh, hang on. No. Okay, so the boss of the first chunk of Latria is called the Fool's Idol. And she is explained as, like, when the queen disappeared after the old monk came back, he had them build this idol who's meant to look like the queen. She looks a bit- She's like the doll from Bloodborne. She's this, like, ball-jointed doll. Yeah. She has four arms for some reason. (laughs) And- the idea is like she is there to give the people hope that the queen will come back one day, but she never will. And the fool's idol itself is a demon, so you have to defeat the fool's idol, and it can. Uh, yeah, it's it's just sort of it teleports around and makes clones of itself. It's a bit like Pinwheel from Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. So after you beat the fool's idol, you then you then enter the actual Tower of Latria, which is like this nightmare scape place. That is, it is a tower, but, like, it's- all the architecture is weird and abstract. It actually- it looks a bit like- this is going to sound weird, but it looks like a Mario 64 level. (laughs) It is just, like, all these bridges and staircases suspended in nothing. And at- like, there's no sort of logic to the architecture. It's extremely unsettling, and you can very easily fall off the edge. Like, there's no railings to a lot of it. (laughs) And- the centerpiece of Latria is this gigantic beating. It looks like a heart, like a cross between like a heart and a brain. We call it is the heart of Mensis. Yeah, it's it's the, where the brain of Mensis is taken from. <laughs> um, and it is like this sort of pulsing hunk of organs in the center of Latria that is suspended on chains, and it's blocking your path. So you need to you need to do a bunch of like little sort of puzzle things to get the the heart to fall down so you can progress. And during that, you will find- you'll have to go down to the bottom of the tower, which is this huge swamp. Uh, Thankfully, it's not poisonous. (laughs) And you find throughout Latria, throughout this part of Latria, that the monsters all seem to be hybrids. They all seem to be like- they look like Frankenstein experiments of like- like human heads stuck on centipedes and you find like these gargoyles that look like a person, but the wings have been- stitched on with something else and the reveal here is meant to be that the monk who came back to latria he has been trying to make his own demons and this is kind of taken from berserk uh there is a a part in berserk where a guy an emperor is attempting to make his own monsters so he has something very similar to the heart of latria that he's throwing things in and sort of like spitting out monsters. And that's kind of what's going on here, that the the monk is taking the prisoners from the prison and he's experimenting on them uh, through like magic and also it just looks like through surgery, through just stitching different monster parts together mm-hmm. to make these sort of mad creatures that sort of stumble around the, the tower area. Right. So as you pr- progress through there, the boss is- 
it's called the Man Eaters. It's just it's similar to the gargoyles in Dark Souls in that there's you fight two of them at once. And the Man Eaters are these like chimera things. They look like they they look like they used to be people, and then they've sort of had like the the arms replaced with the arms of another monster, and they've had like the they've had wings stuck to their back, and they've had like snakes grafted onto them to work as a tail, and they're just these sort of mad stumbling creatures that you have to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that is the old monk himself, who when you reach there, he's basically dead. He's like a mummy, but he's just alive enough to sort of like gesture to you. So what you actually fight is not the monk. It's the gold cloth that possessed the monk and the gold cloth flies off him. And then depending on this will never happen again because the servers are dead. But what would happen is if you had a summon sign down in Latria, the old monk would summon you as the boss. Mm -hmm. So in this place, back when the servers were running properly and fully populated, you would usually fight another player here. So another player would be summoned as the old monk. It would be their build, but with the old monk's gold cloth on them. And they would they would get buffs to their uh, stats and they would get this like homing projectile thing. Um, if you've played the Ringed City enough, the Half-Light boss is just a do-over of the old monk. Yeah. Right down to having the same uh, homing orb thing attack. The way the way it is explained in the game is that it just says the old monk at this point he's so weak that he can't function as a vessel anymore. So the the vessel, the actual demon there is the cloth. So after you got done with Latria, the you can do these in any order, by the way. Like the, the game expects you to like do like one part of Boletaria, then go back and do one part of somewhere else, go back, do another part of somewhere else, go back. Mm-hmm. Um the area after the old monk is the area after Latria is called the Shrine of Storms. Yes, Shrine of Storms. Shrine of Storms is very. It looks a lot like the Nightmare Frontier from Demon Souls. It is. It is this uh, island that is in Did the middle of this sort of Nightmare Frontier from Demon Souls. It's it's the Nightmare Frontier equivalent of Demon Souls. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, it's this island that is floating in a- it's, I think it's an island in a sea, but there's just fog around it, so you can't see the actual ocean. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind the Shrine of Storms is it is a place where- where um, it was the, run by this sort of death-worshipping cult called the Shadow Men. Mm-hmm. And they- they performed these like burial rituals there. So you're as you progress through the shrine, you learn more about the way that the shadow men would would deal with their dead. And um, Richie, you yeah, shadow we man. We talked about this before. Yeah, but shadow man, corpse disposal yeah. team confirmed. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is, you are in Death Stranding. <laughs> so, you, you learn a bit about the Shadow Men as you go through. You learn that they were a, a warrior, sort of like, I think that the idea is they're meant to be like, um, sort of like art, like a culture of like archers you would meet on the steps, like the, like uh, Mongolian or something. They, they use, um, 
there's a lot of talk of like arrows and they have sort of like big curved swords. Mm-hmm. You learn that they worshipped, they have this interesting religion based on sky burial where they would, uh, when someone died, they would take their body and it would be eaten by birds. And I th- like, they don't ever come out and like explicitly say that this is what's going on, but like, it seems to be that their body would be eaten by birds. And then because of that, birds were sacred to them because birds were like the souls of people who had passed on. Mm-hmm. So there's all these rules. There's a, a rule that keeps being restated, which is like, you must never kill or eat birds in this place. The first boss you encounter in the shrine. I'll start again. Sorry. <laughs> this is a huge spike on the audio there. So the first boss you encounter in the shrine is like the dragon god. It's something that was revived from a myth and it's called the adjudicator. And it's this huge, basically like blob of fat with a mouth and it's got two big cleavers. Mm-hmm. And you learn a bit about the adjudicator as you're progressing through the level. Cause you find a shield with a big picture of the adjudicator on it. And you learn that the idea is that, when someone from the shadow men died, they would take them to the adjudicator and then the adjudicator would judge if they were worthy or not. And one of the things that made you unworthy was if you killed an ate a bird mm-hmm. and you can see the adjudicator itself, like it doesn't appear to have much sentience. It's just like a blob of fat with a huge mouth, but on top of it, there is a, there is a crow. Like there's like a gold crow riding on its head. And the way it's explained is like, that's, that's the master of the adjudicator that like the crow is judging you. Mm-hmm. And if you've displeased the crow, then the adjudicator will eat you. <laughs> and if you haven't displeased the crow, then you will continue onward um, into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So the, the next chunk of the shrine of storms is where bodies would go after they were judged. And it's basically just, it's like the catacombs a bit from dark souls. It's a series of corridors full full of these dead bodies that uh, were taken there by the Shadow Man. Uh, further down you go, you sort of you learn a little bit more about their rituals that like they would they would leave the bodies out on these platforms to be eaten by birds, and these weird things called the Storm Beasts are appearing that again seem to be something from myth. They look like flying stingrays and like, it looks as though they also ate the corpses as well. They're like, a, if you imagine a flying stingray that sort of shoots barbs at you. Uh, and the enemies in this area are skeletons that have been reanimated by presumably the souls of the people who are in the Shrine of Storms who are buried there. As you make it to the very bottom of the Shrine of Storms, the penultimate fight is with a long dead hero of the Shadow Men called the Old Hero. Um, also, the deeper down you go, you, you go through these sort of uh, underground lakes and caves that are full of these slugs. As you go through- uh, uh, That's not really relevant at all, is it? There's just slugs there. <laughs> so- yeah, in the Shrine of Storms. And I'll, okay, so in the Shrine of Storms is also where you meet a character called- I'll, I'll just do the bosses and then the characters. Okay. okay. So, you beat uh, Old Hero. He is just a, the soul of an old hero of the Shadow Man who's brought back to life again. Then you- The area after that is a fight with, again, like this myth that comes to life. It's like the Shadow Man's god, who's called the Storm King, who is an enormous storm beast. Yeah. And you fight the- the only way if- unless you have a ranged weapon, the only way to damage the Storm King is with this sword called the Storm Ruler. 
which when you use it creates these huge arcs in the air that are like a like you're creating sort of whirlwinds with the sword that you can use to damage the storm king and again, the way that is explained is like, this is a legendary sword. And because of the demon souls in the area, the the legend of the sword has become real. So you can use this sword to actually like cut the sky in half, but only here. If you take it anywhere else, it won't work. So does it mean that Yorm is a demon? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that not a lot of people know that, that the best part of Dark Souls 3 actually has a prequel. <laughs> Explaining the origin of Storm Rule. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm. So, the characters in Shrine of Storms, it's another place where you can meet Patches. He he does his usual thing of trying to trick you into falling down a pit. Um, <laughs> this is where the Patches hates clerics thing come from, actually. Because what happens is you encounter Patches and he, he tri- tricks you and he says, like, oh, there's all this valuable stuff in this pit. Uh, if you want it, have <laughs> yeah. a look. And then he kicks you in. But then when you fall down there, there is a priest called St. Urbane, yeah. who is the miracle trainer of the game. And he says, like, oh, yes, I was tricked into coming down here. So the implication, again, not stated outright, but the implication is that St. Urbane is actually quite greedy. Yeah. And he was tricked into thinking that there was a whole lot of treasure down here. So he's not the sort of great holy man that he appears to be. Mm-hmm. And when you are down there- there is a red phantom there whole, uh, who is wielding a uh, sort of legendary sword called the Makoto. If you defeat the guy with the Makoto, you can then bring the Makoto back to a um, sort of Shiva of the East, a uh, 0.5 character who's called Satsuki. <laughs> he was looking for Makoto because it's like, I think it's like an heirloom that he wants to recover or something. Okay. <coughs> you give that to- if you. So, he will ask you for the Makoto. If you don't give it to him, he attacks you to try to get it from you. If you do give it to him, it possesses him and he tries to kill you. Aww. So, you got to fight Satsuki. Uh, yeah, and that is the Shrine of Storms. Nice. It is- uh, Yep. Again, like, that That doesn't have uh, a central character to it, but it is about the sort of- The history of the Shadow Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, which who, who are like not something you see a lot of in in like they're a very well developed culture. They've thought them through very well, and it's um yeah, it's uh yeah, that's the Shadow Man. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I'm trying to think if I missed anything. Not really. So the the um. Fifth and t- sort of final area is called Valley of Defilement. It is the uh, Blight Town zero point. It's it's much worse than Blight Town. <laughs> um, the the Blight Town esque areas got progressively sort of nicer as they went on. <laughs> so this is the original like Welcome to Hell area of the series. So the Valley of Defilement. The Valley of Defilement, it's where all of the corrupt and unwanted things from Boletari have gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people in, in the Valley of Defilement, they, they're they an odd sort of thing. They called the- they're called the depraved ones. They look like they are wearing a Plague Doctor mask, kind of like Eileen in Bloodborne, mm-hmm. but that is their actual face. 
Like they do, they do have this weird, like elongated face with sort of like a beak, but made of skin, and they they have teeth under it, like a snout. And they just sort of hang around. Um, you just have to carve your way through them. They don't. They, the implication is like these are just the people that were exiled, I guess, or ran away from Boletaria, and they've been warped by the demon souls in this area. And as you progress through, you meet a character who's just called the Filthy Woman. And she talks about how, like, a a saint and her knights went through here earlier. And the people in the valley have started worshipping her, that there is a saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Yeah, this, this saint called Astraya, who came from Boletari to the valley, and she's- kind of become this like Mother Teresa figure who's sort of healing all the sick there and they're all worshipping her. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you progress through the valley, the first part of the valley. It's not, um, there's not a great deal to say about it beyond like you just fall off things a lot. <laughs> it's it's like, it's basically the upper part of Blighttown. Yeah. The second part, the boss here is just a giant pile of leeches. Oh, yeah. I don't know if there's a great deal to say about it. It's just a giant pile of leeches. I think the implication is like it's someone who died and their corpse is just infested with leeches or something. Mm -hmm. So you then travel into the second part of the Valley of Defilement, which is where it actually gets like extremely difficult. Um, The first part is, is reasonably doable, but the second part of the Valley is like, it's a bit like the Blighttown Swamp in Dark Souls 1, but eight times as big. <laughs> and you, it has, a, like, a bridge around the sides of it that you can walk around, but you inevitably have to go down into the actual swamp. So, you're poisoned pretty much constantly. Yeah. Um, there's not a great, like, this doesn't really have sort of plot significance as just a giant swamp, but you learn a fair bit from just random stuff you find here. So, like, you can meet a character who's called Selin Vinland, who is the sister of the knight who followed this, who followed Astraya. The knight who followed Astraya is called Gal Vinland. He's Astraya's bodyguard and um, sort of implied that they're lovers. She, Selin Vinland is his sister and she has come to look for him. You also find there's a reference to uh, a character we never meet who's called uh, Beto the Moonlight Knight. And there's a story about him having stolen uh, the Moonlight Greatsword from a witch who lives in the sky. And if you do enough exploring, you can find what appears to be the corpse of Beto, mm-hmm. uh, who has been completely consumed by this giant pile of slugs. And- if you manage to knock the pile of slugs down and kill them all, you can get the Moonlight Sword from that pile of slugs. Oh, wow. I didn't know yep. that. And you said a Moonlight Witch. Isn't that a cut character from Dark Souls 3? No, no. She's called the Witch of the Sky and the okay. Moonlight Knight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, th- that area is, like, absolutely just you're poisoned constantly. Uh, you keep falling off things, and it's it's the point where like everyone's like, I fucking hate this game. <laughs> uh, but it's but it's a good like frustrating hatred in which you admire sort of how cruel they are, <laughs> as opposed to just being annoyed. <laughs> um, the boss of that area is called Dirty Colossus. I have no fucking clue what it is. It's just like a pile of 
It's just like a pile of dirt and bits of broken stuff that comes to life. Neither of those two bosses are very interesting, but the third one makes up for it. So the final boss is you have to fight Maiden Australia. Uh, this is a unique boss fight in that Australia herself doesn't really attempt to fight you. What happens is that you arrive at the sort of the, the edge of this huge pit that she's at the bottom of. And as all the people of the, of the valley are like praying to her. And as she sees you approach, she says like, she sends Gal Vinland to go and get you. And as Galvinland approaches, he starts talking to you and he's saying, like, why are you here? Like, you're not- we we just want to be left alone. This is where we've come to heal the sick. Um, he says, like, you know, you have no right to intrude on this. We lead humble lives. Please just leave us alone. Mm-hmm. Which is a sort of, like, well, he has a point. Yeah. Um, you have just come here to kill him. And- it's an interesting- it, it reminds me a lot of something they do in Armored Core, where in order to to win Armored Core, you have to destroy the computer that is running the world. And the computer is constantly saying to you throughout that, like, it's sort of like the end of 2001 when they're dismantling HAL. This thing is talking to you and it's saying, like, um, you don't have to do this. You can just leave. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I can't stop you, but you will- you're going to, like, rip society apart by doing this. And consider, like, what you're doing. You don't have to keep doing this. You can stop and leave. And everything will just be like it was before. So, that's sort of what that boss is doing to you. And, like, you know, you're being told on the one hand, like, you have- Astraya has absorbed a demon soul in order to heal people. Okay. So, Astraya herself is a threat just by existing. So, you do have to kill her. But at the same time, she puts up no resistance. She just says, like, I don't want you to do this. Mm-hmm. And presumably by doing that, you also will destroy the Valley of Defilement's ability to heal itself. Aww. So, like, yeah, there's no good outcome. So, you kill Galvinland and then go up to Astraya. Astraya technically can defend herself because she does this, like, Wrath of the Gods attack sometimes, but she stays perfectly still. And if you kill Gal Vinland, she just says, like, oh, you've killed him. And then she just sort of breaks down and commits suicide. And that's how you- the the boss ends with you killing- yeah, if you kill Gal Vinland, she just gives up and, and kills herself. That's sad. Yeah. Um, alternatively, like, if you somehow make it past Gal Vinland, you can just, like, wail on her and she'll die. But if you kill Gal Vinland, she will- she will commit Sudoku. (laughs) So, that's the Valley of Defilement. Um, Mm -hmm. so, like, what happens is at the- after beating the Penetrator- (laughs) After you beat off the Penetrator- (laughs) And Bior can help you fight the penetrator. So when you and Bior finish beating off the penetrator together, <laughs> there is. Oh no, no, sorry, it's not even the penetrator. <laughs> it's the Tower Knight. 
before before you and Bjork and beat off the penetrator together. <laughs> you have to make it past a thing called the Tower Knight, but after the Tower Knight, there is another fog wall that you can't go through. And it says, like, you must have defeated at least one what are called archdemons to make it through. So, the archdemons are the final bosses of the other areas. So, you have to have at least beaten the final boss of one of the four other archstones. Okay. Um, and when you do that, the the barrier disappears and you can go through. Okay. Um, so, but before that, I want to talk about something that we sort of missed, which is a, a side quest you can do. Mm-hmm. Where in one of the prisoners in Latria is a guy called Yurt, the Silent Chief. He is the proto Latrec character. He kind of looks similar. He has the two shotels. Yeah. If you re- he, he's in a cell, he has to be rescued. If you rescue him, he goes back to the Nexus. When he's in the Nexus, he starts murdering people. So you start finding dead bodies lying around the Nexus. Yeah. And, um. It's sort of obvious that Yurt's the one doing it because he's the most obviously evil character. He just sort of like wears this black armor set and laughs maniacally constantly. And he talks about how he's an assassin and he's like murdering people. So it's pretty obvious <laughs> what's going on. Um, Yurt is Yurt works for a group called the Soul Society, who sort of want to master demon soul use for themselves, and. Uh, depending on how the yurt- you can just kill yurt um depending on how the yurt thing plays out, you can then meet yurt's boss who is called mephisto mephistopheles and she then if you um yeah uh, mephistopheles will appear and she will send you out to basically complete yurt's work for him so if you want, you can do a playthrough where you are working for mephistopheles and she will send you on assassination missions to sort of kill npcs like she'll say you know kill Bior of the twin fangs or kill the kill um stockpile thomas or something mm-hmm. um yeah they they kind of went back to that in dark souls 2 with navlan because navlan will send you on assassination quests but unlike Navlan, you can't- there's no, like, good way to resolve it. You actually do have to kill those people. Okay. You can't- you go, like, Navlan can be tricked. You can- Navlan- um, the way Navlan works is he says, like, kill this person and bring me proof that you've done it. And there's always another way to get the proof. So, you can trick Navlan into thinking you did it. Whereas with Demon Souls, uh, Mephistopheles will say, just kill this person. Mm-hmm. And you have no option but to kill them. There's no, there's no, yeah. Can you kill Mephistopheles? You can. Okay. Yeah. You can kill everyone except the maiden in black who you can kill later on anyway. So, you, um, after you've defeated the archdemons, you can go to the final area of Boletaria. And in the final area of Boletaria, you encounter King Alant. You also encounter, if you've kept him alive, uh, Ariana slash Ostrava. So, you'll meet Ostrava outside Alant's throne room. He shows up and he says, like, he, he reveals to you, you know, I, I'm not Ostrava. I'm the king's son, Ariona. I came here to try reasoning with him, but he's become a demon. And then uh, Ostrava commits, Ostrava slash Ariona then commits suicide and dies. But, yeah, because he can't cope with what his father's become. And then you then have to fight a red phantom version of him. Like, he dies and then his ghost immediately attacks you because he's so consumed with grief. So, you then 
After defeating uh, Phantom Ariona, you meet Alant. And Alant is, he he describes like he's become a hideous demon. He just looks like a big guy. He's like a sort of seven foot tall, kind of looks like if Gascoigne scrubbed up a bit. (laughs) So you fight him. And um, as you're fighting him, uh, you you can, yeah, basically you fight him and you, you defeat him like you do with all the bosses. But. As you defeat him, like he dies, and then you realize that wasn't King Alant. You get you, instead of dropping the soul of King Alant, he drops the soul of the false king. And then you hear King Alant's voice say, "Like, oh, you defeated my demon," mm-hmm. and you realize that that wasn't Alant. That was uh, a doppelganger that Alant created, to sort of rule Boletaria in place of him. Why? Well, you'll find I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> okay. So having. Having um, now defeated all the archdemons and restored all the archstones, the huge sword in the nexus goes crashing through the floor. <laughs> that shatters the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And then um, this is kind of like the Red Moon in Bloodborne. The NPCs you've rescued in the nexus all then like, kind of go mad. Aww. And um, they'll talk to you. Like They'll have different dialogue. The most significant is um, St. Urbane. One of the things that the game talks about is like there's a there's a schism between the the magic users and the miracle users and they don't like each other. And then at as the old one is is howling up through the bottom of the Nexus, you can talk to Saint Urbane and he realizes that the the screaming he hears from the old one is the same as the voice of God. And that even though the the sorcery users and the miracle users were opposed to each other, they were just two different ways of interpreting the old one. Mm. So you then go down through the, the cracked floor in the Nexus and you arrive at this. It's hard to, it's like a beach. You find this sort of sandy area, there's ruins everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of- it looks actually looks kind of like the where you fight orphan of cause a bit. There's just this sort of like beach with this sand and it's all very still mm. and you you see the old one appear, and the old one is like you said it was like a tree monster. It's like if you imagine a huge like almost like a caterpillar yeah. that is made out of out of branches mm-hmm. it's like it sort of like slowly descends out of the sky and it's huge. Like the, they they do actually they do a thing they do a lot in Armored Core where to convey the size of something, they have it descend alongside flocks of birds so you can get a relative understanding of size. Mm-hmm. So you see this thing descend, you see these like birds next to it, and the birds are absolutely tiny. Yeah. So the old one is like it's like the size of like a like a skyscraper, this huge sort of demon thing, mm-hmm. and it lands at the beach, and then the maiden in black says we're going to put the old one back to sleep because. Yeah, we'll use all the demon souls to- the demon souls are- like, the demons are gone, the archstones are back, it's time to put the old one back to sleep, so this will never happen again. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you go- you have to go inside the old one, because the old one is is hollowed out, it's like a like a tree. Yeah. And as you go inside, you meet King Alant. That was You meet a the lot? real King Alant. Because I what? saw- though, I, I saw- I told you, I saw this, uh, I YouTubed it. Okay, so yeah, and I saw a guy fighting a blob. I didn't realize that was the a blob lot. is a lot. Oh my god, that's that's a lot. 
Because a lot, a lot was messing with soul magic, and he sort of gradually, sort of melted into this He's weird like a blob. Little Eldritch. Yeah, he he kind of it's weird. He sort of looks like a frog. It's hard to tell like where his anatomy is, but he he doesn't put up much of a fight. But he's holding one of the swords of Boletaria. Um, and he sort of like ineffectually wails on you with the sword. What is and he, he doing inside a great one? Because he went there to like gain more power. Oh, how did that work out? Well, this is what happens. Like as you're fighting him, he he talks to you throughout the fight. He can't really hurt you, but he is. He can take a fair bit of punishment, so he does a lot of talking during the fight. <laughs> and he he t- he tells you that, like, he just wants the world to end. That he's like, the world is just a place of suffering and we can't put the old one back to sleep because we want the demons and we want the fog to just destroy the whole world. So that, like, that will be the end of the world and the end of all suffering and something else can happen. Something else can be born out of that. Mm-hmm. He says, like, no, there's there's no point in going on. The world is just suffering. And he says, like, um, the world is poison and the old one is my poison and I will fight poison with poison. Mm-hmm. So he is wielding quite badly because he doesn't really have hands anymore. <laughs> He's just like a melted blob. A sword called Demon Brand. And what happens is if you go back to Boletaria after- Ariona dies. Oh, no, no, no. He's, he's holding Soulbrand. If you go back to- I can't remember which one's which. If you go back to Ar- uh, to Boletaria after Ariona dies, you'll have a key that Ariona drops. And that opens a mausoleum where, like, the very, very old king of Boletaria is kept. He's alive for some reason. I guess the soul arts brought him back. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like Gundir. Gundir's design is based on him. Okay. And he says, like- he is the other one of Boletaria's swords. If you can beat me in combat, you can have the other sword. So he's very, very hard. He has, I think, unlimited stamina. And he, like, he sort of, he knows what moves you're going to use sort of just as you input them so he can parry kind of perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's extremely difficult, but you can kill, you can't actually kill him. Um, oh, you can, you can. You can technically kill him. You don't really have to kill him. You just need to reduce his hit points to, like, I think 50%. And then he's like, okay, you've proven yourself. Okay. If you do that, you can then get his sword. And they form a matched pair. And the idea is, like, there's one sword that defeats demons and one sword that- There's, like, a good sword and an evil sword. Okay. One's black and one's white and- one of them will become stronger the more evil you are, and one becomes stronger the, the more nice you are, mm-hmm. basically. Um, so, yeah, you have you have the one that uh, he is guarding is the one that defeats demons, and the one that Alant is holding now is the one that becomes stronger the more of a demon you are. Okay. So, um, you can get both of those, and if you get both of them, you can fuse them into, like, a super sword that is called Northern Regalia. Like, that's not to a new game plus, because you need both. Mm-hmm. So, um, as you when you defeat King Alant, the Maiden in Black then walks into the room and she says, I'm going to put the old one back to sleep now. And this is the end of the game, and it's exactly like Dark Souls 1. You have two choices. Depending on how you behave in the room, you can just leave the room 
And if you leave, then the old one goes back to sleep, magic disappears from the world, and everything sort of goes back to how it was before King Alan started messing with soul arts. Mm-hmm. Um, alternatively, this is the one point in the game where the Maiden in Black is vulnerable. Because you, if you kill- The Maiden in Black cannot die because she's bound to the old one and bound to the Nexus. But because she's currently putting the old one back to sleep, she's vulnerable. So, you can actually kill her here. She only oh. takes one hit. And it's if you kill the Maiden in Black here, you absorb the power of the old one instead of her putting her back to sleep. And then? And you effective- Well, it doesn't really say, but, like, you you kind of take on Alain's position. Like, you become the new kind of demon lord. Ah. Uh, are you going to live in the tree? You might. <laughs> So, like, yeah, um, and I think the idea is back when Bloodborne was Demon Souls 2, <laughs> the ending where all the magic disappears out of the world, that would have been the ending that led to Bloodborne. Bloodborne still has magic, though. No, but, like, it has to be rediscovered. Okay, okay, right, yeah. The idea is, like, yeah, it, magic would have gone away, so they would have they would have undergone an industrial revolution mm-hmm. instead of using magic, yeah. and that's what would have led to Yarnum. So yeah, that is that is Demon Souls. Yay! Good job. So you s- remember how I said like this will take five minutes, and it's now on an hour and a quarter. <laughs> yeah, as per usual. Yeah. When the old one was awoken, fog appeared. Yeah. Where did the old one keep the fog? I think it just comes out of the old one, maybe, or it's just like it's just a thing that happens when the old ones are working. How? The way it's explained is like um the old one is like it's always there the 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 intro says like the old one was created by God. So God creates the old one. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that it doesn't say which god, just God. Mm-hmm. Um so the idea is that if you mess around with soul arts too much, eventually the old one wakes up. And then when the old one wakes up, it sort of, like, resets the world with this fog. So, when the old one wakes up, the fog starts creeping in, and then from the fog, demons are born, and then the demons sort of destroy the world, and it's remade. Okay. And that's that's sort of what- uh, Like, the idea is that Bolotari was using soul arts for a long time. It was very prosperous. And then King Alant Twelfth <laughs> is the one who's like, I can't stand this anymore. This just has to end. Okay. And it's not clear if, like, he has some great philosophical reason or he's just depressed because Aww. it does actually say that, like, he- it says something like he lapsed into melancholia. Okay. So, the idea is, like, he might- it might just be him. He is just, like, he's had enough so he thinks the world should end. So, he made an executive decision. That's sort of what I mean about the way it presents royalty being very different. Because, like, the way that Alant is talked about, you can imagine that, okay, maybe- Maybe he's so completely, like, lacking in empathy that if he thinks the world should end, then he will end it because he doesn't care about anyone else. Hmm. That he just has this, like, existential crisis and is like, well, everything should just stop. Mm-hmm. Where he's not, he's not necessarily, like, power mad or evil. He just, like, thinks there's no point in going on. Yeah. Yeah. He's a millennial. Maybe. <laughs> He's us, Richie. 
Well, it's a good thing we're not in charge of a soul-devouring demon. <laughs> yeah, so that's... Yay. That's demon souls. Cool. Okay. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Have you finished it yet? I told you I didn't. I watched... Apparently I watched half a cutscene... Yeah, I didn't, and you didn't know who the final boss was. I didn't realize the thing was Alan. King Alan. Yeah, King Alan. King Alan Alant. The 12th. Yes. Um, oh, do we, do we want to talk about the area that was removed? Okay, yeah, let's. Just quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the, reason, the, the Nexus has six archstones in it. Only five of them work. The sixth one is broken, and if you talk to people in the Nexus, they say, like, yeah, that was that land was already destroyed. So we had to break the Archstone because it was pointless, and we just had to seal it off, kind of like uh, New Londo mm-hmm. or Old Yarnum. Mm-hmm. Like, it's too far gone, we just have to destroy it. The uh, That's kind of like covering for- it was supposed to be accessible- <laughs> <laughs> it was going to- it's still kind of there. SanaDSK has, like, ripped and viewed parts of it. It's on his channel somewhere. Mm-hmm. It would have been a snow area. It's um, <gasps> it's called the Northern Limit. The Ashes of Oriental. Well, yeah. It's- um, it would have been, like, a snow area with a large sort of castle in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would have been inhabited by animal people. So, they were, like- like sort of hyena people, bear people, owl people, kind of hanging out there. <laughs> but um, we don't know anything people? about it beyond that. I don't think there are crow people. Mm. The crow people are the Shrine of Storms. Oh. But yeah, if you watch Senator SK's stuff and you go to the Demon Souls wiki dot, mm-hmm. they have like the they have all the models of the enemies that would have been in the in the Northern Limit, but uh, that area is gone now. They call it the land of the giants. Mm-hmm. And you, you sort of, you see like some concept out of it in the intro that, but they say like it's lost to us and it can't be recovered. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Guess that's it. Yay. Yep. So that's, uh, that's a synopsis of a nine year old video game. <laughs> cleared a lot of things up. Thank you, Richie. That's all right. What's the code word? Alan. <laughs> code word Alan. The code word is penetrator. <laughs> I don't know why you keep laughing <laughs> at... Bior and I beating off the penetrator. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Do you know what I noticed? Sometimes I plug patron like in real life to myself.
Or just like during during presentations at work. No, no, but just like I'm like we're like oh, crap, like my shoe broke. Oh, donate to patrons so I can get a new shoe. <laughs> Yeah. And like your boss is like, "Hey, this report's overdue," and you're like, "Well, if you donate to Patreon, you can get it a week early and ad free." <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and then dur- during the report you give, you keep plugging Casper mattresses and me undies. <laughs> yeah, and talk about how you subscribe to Geek Fuel, which is like a it's like a monthly birthday present to yourself. See, every, every time I think this podcast is annoying, I think about all the ones that have constant ads during them. I'm like, yeah, it could be worse. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we should have a podcast made entirely out of ads. I wonder if you could, you could, we could do a podcast about ads and work, work them seamlessly into the narrative. <laughs> yeah. 